tell me you who want to live under the law, do you know what the law actually says? The scriptures say that Abraham had two sons, one from his slave wife and one from his freeborn wife. The son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. But the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. These two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia because she and her children live in slavery to the law. But the other woman, Sarah, represents the heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman and she is our mother. As Isaiah said, rejoice, O childless woman, you who have never given birth. Break into a joyful shout, you who have never been in labor. For the desolate woman now has more children than the woman who lives with her husband. And you, dear brothers and sisters, are children of the promise, just like Isaac. But you are now being persecuted by those who want you to keep the law. Just as Ishmael, the child born by human effort, persecuted Isaac, the child born by the power of the Spirit. But what do the scriptures say about that? Get rid of the slave and her son, for the son of the slave woman will not share the inheritance with the free woman's son. So, dear brother and sisters, we are not children of the slave woman. We are children of the free woman. Galatians chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. stand with me this morning. We're going to pray one final time and then we're going to dive right into that text. We've been this summer in a series on the book of Galatians and it'll take us all the way through the end of July and we've been discovering this letter that Paul writes to a region called Galatia. It's a church in Asia Minor and they have been um, Basically, they've had Judaizers, these people come in that are preaching a false gospel to them, and they've started to accept it. And it's a gospel that is not even a gospel at all, but it's a message that they were saying, hey, in order to truly be saved, it's not just based on faith in Jesus. It's based on what you can do. It's based on you becoming an Israelite, becoming a part of like through circumcision, through adherence to the law, that it's not just based on what Christ has done, but also upon what you can or what you should do. And so Paul has been ardently speaking against this, ardently talking against it. And so we're picking up on that today in that situation that um, he's been dealing with. And so we've been covering that. So if you want some backdrop and want a little bit more context, we have our podcast that has all the previous sermons. You can go back all the way to week one of Galatians in here. But it's been a very fun series, and I'm, I'm excited to dive in today. But let's ask God to bless our time. Father, we come before you, where we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that it's true and that it's good, that it's living, that it's powerful. And Lord, we ask that your presence would just invade this room today, that as we open up your word, as we dive into it, that, Lord, you would speak to hearts and lives, that you would change us and you would make us like you. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Before you grab a seat, if you will turn to the person next to you and defend what is the best soda, Coke, pop, whatever you want to call it, in the entire world and why. Three, two, one, go. 
If it's anything other than cherry Coke, you're wrong. That's all I'm, <laughs> I'm joking. Pizza King cherry Coke? Oh, man. Oh, man. The reason I asked you to discuss that is um, I, I want to start this morning by talking about choosing wisely. Choosing wisely. There, there's a scene from one of the Indiana Jones movies where there's a choice that must be made, and it's the end, and throughout the whole movie, they're looking for this uh, mythological object called the Holy Grail that they believe that if you drink from it, it gives you life, and you've got the Nazis versus, like, good old classic Indiana Jones, right, and it comes to the end, and he helps them get into the room, and they're trying to figure out what to do, and there's this ancient knight that's, like, waiting on them who's been kept alive all these years by drinking from uh, the Holy Grail. And he looks at them, and he, he just essentially looks at them, and he challenges them. He goes, listen, you've got to make a choice, but you need to choose wisely because one cup will absolutely provide for you, like, eternal life, but the other cup will bring about instant death. And so the main villain in the movie, the Nazi, he's sitting there, and he's looking across all this room that's just covered with gold chalices and the most ornate cups. And so he's walking to each one, and he's looking, and he's like, which cup could it possibly be? And he's, he's seeing them, and he goes, and in his mind, he's thinking, okay, well, this, this must be the cup of kings, and it's got to be ornate. And what's the one that looks like it costs the most, the one that looks like it'd be someone of power would have? And he picks this cup, and he drinks from it, and you all know what happens. He dies, right? <laughs> tragic death <laughs> and the old knight looks at him and he goes he has chosen poorly <laughs> right <laughs> and then immediately after that indiana jones is going and he's trying to find it so instead he's looking from the concept he's thinking now through the eyes of jesus and he goes he was a carpenter he was humble and he's looking for what this cup could be and he's saying which one would it be and he finds this cup that's essentially like made out of wood that's not lavish not whatever, and he picks it, and he drinks it, and the knight looks at him, and he says, you have chosen wisely. Now, I start with that today because I, I want you to think about what is happening in this story that Galatians is, is taking place, and Paul's looking at these believers, and he's essentially saying, listen, there's a choice that's in front of you, and you have not chosen wisely. You've chosen the wrong thing. I want to illustrate this just a little bit different. Grady, could you help me? Inside the, inside the kitchen right there, there's two um, clear plastic cups right to your right. They are, uh, can you see them? If you want to bring those out here and put them up here for me, I would greatly appreciate it. Thank you. All right. We have in front of us two cups. They look almost completely identical. Now, I'm going to need a volunteer for this demonstration. This volunteer doesn't know that I've already picked them. Luke Hart. <laughs> he knows what's in the cup. That's right. Just, you just can kind of come stand here. His wife is so excited in this moment. <laughs> See, here's the thing I know about Luke that you don't know. Luke despises vinegar. Like ardently, ruthlessly... Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's up here. He's already nervous. He's sweating in his boots. He's like, man, why did I come to church today? <laughs> right? Now, one of these is filled with white distilled vinegar. It can be used for cleaning. Um, 
I've drank a little bit of it before, and it's kind of like getting punched in the throat. Um, <laughs> one of these is filled with 100% clear, purified water. One is perfectly able for you to drink. One I would not highly suggest. <laughs> okay, but, but here's the thing. So if I have Luke up here and he despises one and he knows that one is like, it's repulsive to him, what one of these two are you going to pick? I'll, I'll come let you make your choice. <laughs> okay. So he's looking at them. He's examining them. You can touch them. You can touch them. Huh? You'll drink that one? Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> like you, you, <laughs> you want to take a sip for me? You, you have chosen wisely, <laughs> right? <laughs> Good job. Everybody give him a hand. Now, now, here's the thing. When he did that, I want you to notice something. He started looking at it, and he's examining it, right? He's not making a quick decision. He didn't just run up here and go, right, which would have been awesome. Like, had you done that, that would have made my day. Like, because we would have got to see something you don't normally get to see in church. Um, <laughs> but he chose wisely. He chose the water. He, he looked at it. And at first, he almost bypassed this one because there was bubbles in it. And he was like, I wonder if that could possibly be the vinegar. But then what did he do? He lifted it up and he... That is strong. <laughs> and he hates the smell of vinegar. I once chased him with a bottle of vinegar, just spraying it in the air. Um, that's just my personality. Um, but here, here's what I want you to understand. Um, Paul, in this section of verses, he's doing something. He's saying to the Galatians, listen, there's been two tragedies that have happened. The first is the fact that false teachers have come in, and they have presented a cup of poison as bringing health. Okay? They have said, hey, I, I want you to believe this gospel. If you really want to be saved, you have to become a Jew. You have to be circumcised. You have to bring yourself underneath the Mosaic law. You have to not just believe in Jesus. You have to earn your right into the kingdom of heaven. Paul is saying, if you drink this, it's poison. It'll destroy you. It'll destroy your soul. He has spoken harshly. In fact, he's proclaimed a curse against these false teachers. So that's issue number one. But there's a second issue, right? The second issue is the fact that the Galatian believers have, they've been drinking from it. That They've taken a look at their options and they've chosen, but they've chosen poorly, right? This isn't a quick decision that they made. It's something that they've done. And what we're seeing here is the fact that like, when you're making a choice like this, if let's just say this was water that was maybe one of it completely, completely pure and the other one is mixed with bleach. Now it changes, right? Because one will kill you. It doesn't just taste bad. It doesn't just smell bad. It can kill you. And so if, if you had to make that choice, if you were being forced to it, you would use every a bit of your ability to. You'd look at sight. You'd look at, is there a difference in color? You'd look at the smell. You, you would listen to see if there's like anything remotely different. You would even touch it to see if it's got any like bleach feeling on it at all. You would be going through this. You'd even maybe just taste, like take a little dip of your finger, 
and taste to see if you could taste any bleach on it. If you started to drink it and taste it, that it was off, I hope you'd be smart enough to stop. <laughs> but the Galatians, you see, they'd been presented by two cups, two different gospels. What Paul had said and what these Judaizers who had come in. And the, the issue that Paul is addressing now is he's saying there's a serious issue. Someone has presented you with the wrong one, but you've also started to drink it. You've chosen to drink it. And the Apostle Paul, to the point, he, he's been presenting piece after piece after piece of evidence against the false teachers, against this false gospel that's being presented. But today he's shifting just from just those teachers to the Galatian believers. And he's saying, why have you made this choice? And do you know the consequences of making this choice? And he, he opens the text with saying, you who want to live underneath the law, the law, do you really know what you're asking? He's saying, do you really want to live under this? You need to choose wisely. So in order to understand this choice, we need to recap just a little bit. Two weeks ago, Grady preached on uh, the previous section, Galatians, and he did an absolutely incredible job. And we looked at the fact, though, that we are brought into the kingdom of God. We are made sons and daughters through redemption and through adoption. Okay, the biblical term redemption, just to refresh your memory what he talked about, redemption was what would happen whenever someone would sell themselves into slavery. So they owed a debt that there's no chance that they could pay other than the fact that they had to sell themselves into slavery. And so they would typically do that. Redemption is whenever you would have like a rich father or a rich uncle or someone in the family who would go to the slave market and they would buy you from the slave market for the purpose of setting you free. But see, the beautiful thing about the kingdom of God is God didn't just redeem us, he adopted us. He redeemed us from our slavery to sin. He purchased our freedom, but he didn't just say, all right, hey, I, I've done this. He says, no, I'm bringing you into the family. I'm making you an heir to my inheritance, to my righteousness to everything that I have accomplished. You see, to go back to the law, Paul says, as a means of salvation, to use the law as a means of salvation, it would be like taking back the garments of a slave or a prisoner and rejecting the garments that proved you were a son of the king. And so that's what he is arguing here. He's talking about coming into the family of God. And so the issue that we find is this, though, that these believers... They haven't just heard the false teachers. They've started to accept and to embrace this message that has been told them. You see, in order to fully grasp this case that Paul's making today, we have to revisit the issue at hand. These false teachers of the Galatians are saying, we want to point back to Abraham. Because in Abraham, it says that all the nations of the world would be blessed. And so if you want to be blessed through salvation... You have to come into the family of Abraham, and you're going to come into it through circumcision and through the law. And Paul's going, let me refute that. Let me show you that that is not the case. That is not how you become sons and daughters of Abraham. But the Galatian believers, they've accepted this, and they have embraced it. It was a means by which they could weigh out and even earn their salvation and their spirituality. It was a way that they could earn God's love by what they have done. They were accepting a gospel that wasn't based solely on Christ and what he had done, 
but also based on what they could or what they should do. And here's what I need you to understand. In accepting this, they were also rejecting truth. You see, to, exe- to accept a lie, you have to also reject truth. If you're going to accept a lie that someone has told you as truth, it means you also have to, in that process, reject what is true. To embrace a lie, you have to abandon hope. And to live in the poison of that lie, you're also choosing death. That's what was at stake here. That's what Paul is talking about. He says in doing so, he's saying you are embracing death, Gentile believers. They're embracing a belief that the law as a means of salvation could somehow rescue them. We've talked about this many times in the last few weeks, but just one more time as an illustration to explain it. Paul is saying that the whole point of the law is to point to our need of a Savior. Okay? It points to the fact that we are broken. It points to the fact that we are sinful. It points at the fact that we have rebelled against God and his commands. But the law cannot save. There's two quick examples I can give you of this. The first example of it would be like thinking about cancer. If you go to the doctor and you find out you have cancer and they say, we need to do a PET scan. They scan your body for it. You could go underneath that PET scan 100 million times, and that scan will never, ever, ever heal you, correct? Right. Because the job and the goal of the scan is to tell you what's wrong, but it does not have the ability to fix. The law has the ability to say you are broken and that you are hurting and that you are far from God and you need a Savior, but the law does not provide us the means to be saved. That comes from Christ. Another perfect example of this would be we think of it from the perspective of a law court, right? You've got it. (laughs) You hear this all the time. People are like, well, I I think they'll be in heaven because they were a really good person. First of all, is anyone in the room a really good person? No. (laughs) Think of it this way. If you go before a judge and um, I think I used you last time, so I'll use you again, Devin. <laughs> right. I go before a judge and I've killed someone in Devin's family. I know. I, I chose a really bad one. I chose a bad sin, a murder, right? But I go before the judge and I look before him and I go, hey, I really feel like I should be set free. And the judge is like, well, why? And I'm like, well, let me tell you about all the good things in the law that I did. Every single Tuesday, I help this old lady cross the street who's blind so that she doesn't jaywalk. Uh, I put my trash out at the curb, and I make sure that I never, ever, I make it easy for anybody coming to pick it up. I have never once ran a red light. Now, that's not true about me, but um, (laughs) I've never sped. I go the exact speed limit or underneath of it. Judge, let me tell you about all these good things I've done. If the judge looks at me and goes, you know what? Man, look at all that good stuff that he did that was right with the law. You're right. You You probably should go free from that murder. Is that judge good or is he evil? He's evil. Because here's the thing about the law. When you break one law, it doesn't matter if you kept 10,000 other ones, you're still guilty of the whole law. That's what Paul is saying here. He's saying you are trying to save yourself by the thing that condemns you. We have to look for something outside that, and that something is not something, it's someone, and it's Jesus who has come. And so, He's addressing these Galatian believers, and he's looking at them, and (laughs) I love this. He's saying, so you desire to be saved under the law. I'm going to give you a Pastor Josh 
phrase of what he's essentially saying here. He basically goes, first of all, I need you to realize how stupid you are, <laughs> right? He, Paul's like, all right, l- let me tell First of all, he goes, you don't even know the law. <laughs> You're choosing to come under something. You don't even know it all. He's like, second of all, it's exhausting. It's impossible to keep. It can't save. It will not bring you life. It will destroy you. And he says, you think that you're Abraham's children because of the law? You're saying you're Abraham's children because you've accepted, embraced, and observed the law as a means of salvation? He says, you think you're being saved because of your efforts, your actions, your ability, your energy, your plans? You think that was the way of Abraham? Let me prove to you that that was not. And he's going to give us a story of two sons. So let's talk about the story of Abraham. If you look on the screen, this is what it says. It says, the Lord said to Abram, this is before his name was later changed to Abraham, leave your native country, your relatives and your father's family, and go to the land that I will show you. This is all the way back in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible. This is the man that every single Jew, every single Israelite will trace their lineage back to. He is the forefather of their faith. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. Catch this. All the families on earth will be blessed through you. I'm going to pause there for a minute. That is a prophecy about the upcoming Jesus. All the nations of the earth will be blessed because Jesus is the ultimate seed of Abraham. And through Jesus, we are all blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. And he took his wife Sarah, his nephew Lot, and all of his wealth, his livestock, and all the people he had taken into his household at Haran, and he headed for the land of Canaan. Let me tell you a little bit about the story of Abraham. God comes to him, and he makes this promise to you. And he says, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to give you your people in this land. I'm going to give you a child, an heir, through your line, and there's going to be a promise that through this child, your descendants will become like the stars in the sky or the sands. He actually, at this one point, he brings Abram out of his tent, and he goes, I want you to just look up at the sky, and I want you to literally try to count the stars. Because as many as you can count, that's how many descendants you're going to have. Now, this is hard for him to believe because he's a really old man, and he and his wife have been physically unable to have children. They cannot. The Bible basically says that Sarah's womb is completely dead. There is no way life can come from that situation. Zero chance, zero possibility. So God speaks something to Abraham that he does not understand how it could possibly be. And he's got a choice. Am I going to trust and believe what God has said or what I think? And so the story of Abraham goes, he trusts God and he moves to the land of Canaan. And years pass and years pass. He starts when he's 75. He gets to like 99 and there's still no kid. There's still no fulfillment of this prophecy. But he went there and he trusted God. And the, the Bible says, it says that Abraham believed God. And God credited it to him as righteousness. It made him right standing with God. See, the issue was Abraham and Sarah, they were already well past their childbearing years before they ever even began the journey. They had tried and tried and tried with no success. In all their efforts, they were unable to produce a child. They'd been living in this land. They trusted and believed God for quite some time. Still no child. 
Sarah is still not pregnant. She's barren. She's unable to have children. And the idea comes along. Sarah goes, well, Abraham, God promised us a kid. And I've got, I've got a slave named Hagar. How about you sleep with her? And then the child that she produces will be like my child. And then that can be the fulfillment of the promise. How many thinks that's a great idea? <laughs> I didn't see a single woman's hand go up. <laughs> Good call. Gentlemen, wise move, keeping your hand down, okay? <laughs> Not a good idea. But both of them go, well, we've been trying, we've been trying. Uh, may maybe, maybe that'll work. And so Abraham does that. He goes in, he sleeps with, with Hagar, and Hagar has a son, and they name him Ishmael, Okay? What they're doing is they're thinking, let's make this happen ourselves. We can do this. We can make God's promise that is impossible come true through our efforts. It hasn't happened yet. Sarah's idea is, you know, if this, if this happens, then, then maybe this is how God really planned it and wanted it to be. We can make this happen. They start thinking from their human reasoning, and they're like, we can make this happen. But the idea turns bad quickly, as I'm sure you would expect. It says this, but when Hagar knew that she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. And Sarah says to Abram, this is all your fault. <laughs> Which I love because it was technically her idea to begin with, but like she's like, boy, <laughs> you better deal with this, right? It's like one of those situations. Um, they've got themselves into a mess. She says, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now she's pregnant and she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong, you or me. And Abram replied, look, she's your servant. Do with her as you see fit. And then Sarah treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. This is what I want you to understand. Our energy and our efforts to save ourselves are not just exhaustive. They're destructive. You see, Abraham had two children. Pull this out real quick. Oh, now we're using the whiteboard today. <laughs> he had two children. Ishmael and Isaac. Ishmael was through his efforts. If you can read my writing. His ability His decision, his energy, and Isaac represents the law. See, in his ability, in his energy, in his efforts, in his thinking, I can produce this. I can make God's plan. I can make it happen by my own ability. What he doesn't even realize he's doing, he actually creates the very thing that will oppose God's plan and promise. You see, what happens is, is all the descendants of Ishmael for the rest of their lives and even to this day oppose the Jewish nation. 
to this day they make war against each other and it goes all the way back thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago because there was a man who tried to do it himself and produce God's promise his own way and in doing so the very offspring would oppose the promise that God planned in the beginning have you noticed how if someone has a very religious nature about them, how they almost despise people who are broken and sinners. There's a reason for that. It's because there is an opposition of, if I think I can save myself, then they should be doing better. When we forget that we were saved by grace through faith, and this is not of ourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast, right? That's scripture. That's the truth here. But the thing is this, is that Abraham creates Ishmael with his own efforts, his own ability, his own decision, his own everything that he's thinking, I can do this my way. The story of Abraham goes here as he's going, I can do this. And he goes to God and he goes, God, in Genesis 17, God appears to Abraham and he's now 99 years old. And God says to him again, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you a great nation. Your wife, Sarah, will will be blessed. And through her, I'm going to give you a son. And this is what Abraham does. He goes, God, can't you just make your covenant come through Ishmael? Can't you bless the son I've already created? And God looks at him and goes, I can't. The blessing cannot come through Ishmael. It will come through Isaac. And his wife hears it and he hears it and they laugh. Because they go, there's just no way. He asks if instead somehow, someway, Ishmael, the covenant could come through him, and God says no. You see, the truth is this, is that Abraham had two children. What Paul's asking these Galatian believers, he goes, so which are you? Are you descendants of Ishmael or are you descendants of Isaac? Listen to what he says. He says, the son of the slave was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise, but the son of the freeborn wife was born as God's own fulfillment of his promise. Two children, one born of a slave woman and was in bondage and outside the promise of God, one born from freedom was a child of the promise that came from the impossible, was an heir to the family. There are two ways, Paul says, to be related to Abraham. And he looks at the Galatian believers. He goes, which way are you being related to him? Which way? So let's take a deeper look at these two sons. Ishmael, he's born from slavery. He's the son of effort, attempt, trying. He's the son of Abraham's own doing, own decision, and own flaws and efforts. He's the son of Abraham trying to create and earn what God had already declared. Do you catch this? He is trying to earn what God has already promised. God says, I'm going to give you a son. Through that line, all nations will be blessed. Abraham's like, well, I don't see that happening, so I'm going to make it happen. Do you realize that at salvation, God declared over you, I've done enough. At the cross of Jesus Christ, he was placed upon a tree and his arms were spread. And he declared paid in full that every sin, every stain, everything that we've ever done wrong would be absorbed into him and he would pay the penalty we deserve if we would put our trust in him as our savior. If we would come to him and say, God, I'm a broken individual. The law says I'm hurting. The law says I'm broken. The law says I've been rebellious against you, but I put my trust in you. Will you be my savior? In that moment, a divine thing happens 
that we could not produce. All of the love that God has is imparted to us as his child. And whenever God sees you, he looks down and he sees the perfect righteousness of his son, not your sin-stained past. And there's nothing you had to do with it. I love this. I think it was Jonathan Edwards who said, the only thing we bring to the table in the process of salvation is the sin that made it needed. See, the truth is this, though. As we look at the deeper look of these two sons, you've got Ishmael. He's the son of these efforts. And what was the result? He could not be part of the promise. He would hate the promise and the blessing, and he would directly oppose the people of God. But then there's Isaac who is born. He's the son of joy. Isaac came from God's efforts, God's ability, God's decision, God's energy, and God's promise. Paul looks at the Galatian believers and he says, There's two sons of Abraham. Which are you? Because if you're trying to be saved by the law, <laughs> I love this. Paul's basically going, by the way, your mama's Hagar. But if you come to faith in Jesus, if you place your trust in what he can do, on his decision, on his promise, if you come to him through faith in Christ, then you truly are the son of the promise. You truly are part of the family of God. He's looking at them and he's saying these things. You see, Ishmael was the child of works. He's the child of law. Sarah was old. She was barren. She was in, it was impossible for her to have a child, and yet God still made it happen. But Hagar, on the other hand, she was young. She was fertile. She technically could do it. Abraham could make it happen through this process. And so Abraham chose his plan, his efforts, his timing instead. And in the process, he created the very thing that would oppose him. Paul pushes their buttons. He looks at the Jews and he says to these false teachers, you take great pride in calling yourself children of Abraham. And he goes, by the way, you are, but you are children of Hagar. You are descendants of Ishmael as you accept law as a way to save you. Paul says this, these two women serve as an illustration of God's two covenants. The first woman, Hagar, represents Mount Sinai, where people received the law that enslaved them. And now Jerusalem is just like Mount Sinai in Arabia, because she and her children live in slavery to the wall. But the, the other woman, Sarah, she represents heavenly Jerusalem. She is the free woman, and she is our mother. Paul looks at them, and he says, you want to be justified by the law? Fine, then but you need to recognize your mom is Hagar. And you are outside the promise. Therefore, you're a child of slavery. You're outside the grounds of faith. You're a child of effort and desire to earn, and you are not a child of God, and you will not inherit his blessing. That's harsh. So harsh that next week we're going to find out, Paul goes on to speak a, a thing against these false teachers that will make us blush in church. Paul is saying, all who make the law is the place of their justification of God. We are children of Hagar if we choose that. The result is disaster, hatred, jealousy, animosity. The, the illustration Paul is making, though, is he's saying we need to understand which one we are. And that's why we need to look at this. 
Isaac. He is challenging the Galatian believers to instead to choose their lineage through Isaac. Isaac would only come through faith. Can I tell you something about salvation that is probably the hardest part for us as Christians to grasp? We're really great at believing that God can save and rescue and redeem and restore other people. But then we look at our story. And we're really intimately aware of our past. We know our sin, our stains, our brokenness. We know how bad we've screwed up. We know the many ways we've screwed up. We know, we know the times that we have spit in God's face and lived in direct rebellion to him. And sometimes without realizing it, it can become very easy to want to try to do it this way. God, I've made so many mistakes. I've messed up so bad. I, I, I just, I, I need, I know you love us, but like, I feel like I have to earn it. I feel like I have to deserve it. I, I, I feel like m maybe if I read the whole Bible in the next three months, that then somehow I'll, I'll received your love and your goodness and your grace, and, and then I'll, I'll do this for you. I, I promise if you'll just, if you'll get me out of this situation, then I'll, I'll <laughs> fill in the blank. Without realizing it, what are we doing? We're moving into Camp Ishmael. You see, what happens is this. One of the greatest aspects of faith is realizing that God has already done enough for you. Some of you, listen, I'm saying that right now, and, and part of it's going in one ear and out the other ear because you're looking at me and you're going, you know what, Pastor Josh, if you really did know, maybe it's enough for the person to my right or to my left. But you don't know what I've done. You don't know where I've been. That's true. And isn't that the point? It's supposed to feel impossible. That's the beauty of our Savior. He walked into a situation where life was impossible, but he spoke it into being. You realize that Jesus was, Jesus was born of a virgin on purpose? Because it's impossible. Because he spoke life where there was no life. Some of you today are sitting here going, you know, Pastor Josh, if you really knew my past, listen to me, I do know your past because it's the same as mine. I looked at God and his commands and I said that you and your ways are worthless to me. I'd rather play God and do it my way. That's what sin is. But that at Christ, when he came and he died for sinners just like you and just like me, he redeemed me he purchased me from my slavery he adopted me into his family and through faith i am now a part of the kingdom of god but not because of my effort my ability my decision my energy but through his promised son jesus second thing i want you to see about isaac he brought life from where there was death She wasn't just having trouble having kids. It was impossible. Paul to the Galatians, he says, if salvation is by works, then only the perfect can attain it. Is that what you are? <laughs> Anybody in this room perfect? 
Anybody in here never lied? Anybody in this room never gossiped once your whole life? Anybody in this room ever not had a terrible, evil thought about another person? <laughs> Anybody in this room ever not thought about blowing the car up in front of you whenever they take like 10 minutes to turn right? <laughs> and you're just like, would you turn? <laughs> right? <laughs> Sorry, maybe that's just me, man. I, I need to get that out there. <laughs> are you perfect are you good have you kept the law perfectly your whole life do you have no past no sin no shame no mistake that could ever disqualify you from perfection Paul's looking at them and he goes if you want to come underneath the law and if you want to use the law to save you then you better be perfect because there's only one who has and it was Jesus And even then, even in our perfection, we are still broken because this is just an arbitrary laws that came along. God was holding people guilty of sin before the law ever even came because he knows what's written on our hearts. But if by grace, even from the absolute brokenness and seeming impossibility of our life, we accept Jesus, life fills us. See, Isaac, he would bring life from death and that's what God has done for you and for me as well Isaac would prove the greatness of God some of you here today you, you honestly you're so hung up on your story you don't even realize how beautiful it is in the hands of God you know who's someone who had a story to really be ashamed of it's the guy writing this whole book his name's Paul he murdered people. He stood and he watched an early Christ follower, Stephen, be stoned to death. He, he applauded as people threw rocks at his face, held their coats with joy in his heart in a sick, twisted way. He approved what was going on because he thought he was doing the right thing. He chased people down drug them from their houses, men, women, and children who were followers of Jesus and he would throw them into jail or see them be killed. This is a guy with the sin-stained past. This is a guy who, like, if there's anyone's story who God should look at him and go, you know what, you're disqualified. That's a little too much for me. Can't rescue that, can't redeem that. God's looking down at Paul and he's watching him murder Christian after Christian. But you know what, Paul, you know what God did? He looked down and he saw Paul and he goes, that one. He will receive my grace. He will receive my mercy. And I will so change his story that the glory of God can be. Listen to me. Don't think your story can't be redeemed. That's the point of Isaac. Abraham's at 100 years old. There's no way, God, God, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my story. There's nothing. You can't produce the promise. And God's like, <laughs> watch me. Honestly, today, as you look at God and you're like, God, I'm not really sure you can do much with my story, with my past. I, I hate to break this to you, but God's kind of laughing. Because that's what he's in the business to do. He takes the impossible and speaks it into being. He takes brokenness and creates wholeness. He takes ashes and he spins it into beauty. He takes mourning and he brings about joy. He is the God who rescues, the God who Isaac proved our need for a savior. 
they couldn't do it themselves. They needed someone outside their ability, outside their means. I cannot save Josh Johnson. I could spend every waking moment the rest of my life doing everything that I could to do the right thing, and it will not save me. But if I place my faith in Jesus, listen to me, something beautiful happens. We're going to talk about this in the next few weeks. My perception of the law changes. Instead of using it as a means to try to save myself, I use it as a means to please God. I use it as a means to say, God, I love you so much. Would you shape my heart? Would you mold me? Would you use me for your glory, for your purposes? God, would you take this broken vessel and would you fill it with your glory and allow the world to see your goodness through me? See, Isaac was the son of faith, and it was through Abraham's faith that Abraham was to be said. I, I got to tell a quick story, but this is, I love this. Okay, because it's, it's not really covered too much. In, fast forward a few years. Isaac's no longer a boy. He's a young adult. His father is a decrepit old man who can barely walk. Out of nowhere, God comes one day to him, and it says, this is the story that freaked me out as a kid. God comes to Abraham and he goes, I want you to sacrifice your son, your only son, the son that you love. I want you to sacrifice Isaac. I'm going to tell you where you need to go and do it. And I remember as a kid going like, does God still do that? Like, <laughs> dad. <laughs> it's one of the most beautiful stories, the Old Testament. Abraham takes his son, his one son, his only son, the son that he loved, the son of the promise, and they go on a journey to this place called the Mount Moriah. Mount Moriah, by the way, is Jerusalem. The son, the only son, the son of the promise, carries the wood upon his back, which will be the sacrificial wood. And Isaac treks up the mountain in faith, trusting his father, and when he gets to the top of the mountain, he goes, Dad, see the wood, I see the knife, I see the fire, but where's the sacrifice? And Abraham goes, the Lord will provide. Listen to me, Abraham didn't knock out his son, didn't like tie him down or any of that kind of thing. When he tells his son, you are the sacrifice, his son willingly lays down on the altar, allows his father to bind him, and his father has no clue, but he knows this, listen to me, he knows that God has promised that the fulfillment of all the nations being blessed will come through Isaac. And the only thing he can rationally think of is, okay, if God has asked me to sacrifice my son, then somehow, some way, he will resurrect my son in Jerusalem on the mountain as my son lays down as the sacrifice. You know what that's a picture of? Jesus. Because what happens is, is right as Abraham lifts up the knife to do the thing that's the most hardest thing of his whole life, as he's putting faith and trust in what God has promised will happen, it says the angel of the Lord calls down and says, stop what you're doing because I provide a second. Listen to me, listen to me. This is good. The angel of the Lord in the Old Testament is often referred to as God because it's Jesus speaking from heaven, the ultimate sacrifice to the one who would be the sacrifice. And stop. I will provide the way. Isaac doesn't die because the ultimate sacrifice many, many years later would carry the wood upon his back. The son, the only son, the son of the promise would go to Jerusalem. He would carry it to a hill called Golgotha. He would place it and he would willingly play 
place himself upon the sacrifice for you and for me because he would be resurrected. Listen to me. I love this. Jesus is, <laughs> he gets, he often got into some spats with religious people. And the Pharisees one day, they're dogging him. And he says, you call yourself sons of Abraham. You're not, you're sons of Satan. And they're, I mean, they're ticked. He says, if you were sons of, Sab- of Abraham, then you would know me because Abraham saw this day and was glad. How did Abraham see that day? When Isaac, God's effort, God's ability, God's decision, God's energy, God's promise, when God told him to sacrifice Isaac and he watched God come through and he rationalized in his mind God would resurrect Isaac, he looked forward and he saw Jesus and his heart was glad. Isaac, the son of the promise, brought freedom and joy. Oh, this is where it gets good. Come on, church. Listen to me. Some of you today, you've been serving God, but you've been serving God from the perspective of Ishmael. God, I've got to do, I've got to earn your love. I've got to, church has like become a checklist thing for you. Reading your Bible is a thing that maybe you feel like you have to. Like you're just trying somehow, some way to cover over the wrong you've done. And I tell you, there's a better way. There's the way of Isaac. And God today wants to proclaim freedom over your life. And he wants to renew your heart with joy. Listen to me. God does not just want to be the God that you serve. You remember last week when we were talking about all the way back in Deuteronomy, he says, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind. God wants to be the treasure of your life. He is not in the business of being like one of the ancient pagan gods or, or the Muslim God, like that you have to serve him out of this like sense of like, I have to do, 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 work, 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 strive. Listen, the only way you will ever be able to live in the confines of the law and what it declares is the righteousness of God is whenever you do it from the position of sonship or daughtership, where you go, I'm a son of the king and there is joy in my heart and I live to serve him and be shaped by him and molded and changed gospel brings freedom and instills joy, but some of you today, your joy has been robbed. You have for so long been trying to do and earn and deserve that you forgot what it's like to sit at the feet of your father as a blessed child who he loves. See, my kids, when they come in the room, one of the things that I tell them every time when they make a mistake and I have to discipline them. I'll bring them into the room and if I, if it's to the point like it's super serious and even if I have to, have to spank them or something beforehand, I'll sit them down and I'll look them straight in the face and I'll say, I need you to understand something. Daddy loves you more than you could ever fathom. And I look at them and I say, there's nothing you could ever do that will either earn my love or lose my love my child and I'm disciplining you now in this moment because of my great love for you 
Jason will be like, I know. <laughs> and when they excel at something incredible, they'll run up to me and they go, Daddy, are you proud of me? I'll say, absolutely, but Daddy was proud of you before you ever did that. I'm not proud of you by what you've ever done or accomplished. I'm proud of you because you were mine. Father in heaven looks at you today, and if you're his son or daughter, he looks at you, and he looks at you, and he declares you his own, not because of what you've done. Listen to me. I beg you, please. Quit drinking the vinegar. Choose wisely. Paul looks at the Galatians, and he says, quit choosing the false gospel when there's beauty waiting for you. There's freedom, there's wholeness, there's joy, there is, you're a child of the king. Listen to me. The offer on the table is Jesus himself. If every head would bow and every eye would close in this place, no one looking around. This is a moment between you and God. I pray this is a moment of freedom. If you're here this morning and you're saying, you know what, Pastor Josh, as you were preaching today, I know that God is my Savior. I, I, I know all the theologically right things, but if I'm being honest, I have slipped into the role of Ishmael. It's turned into this sense of having to rather than getting to. It's turned into a checklist religion instead of the joy of knowing I am a daughter or a son of the king. It's turned into the striving and effort. And today, today I want to taste that pure water, that freedom and joy of knowing that I am the son of the king and that he applauds me and he is for me. If that's you today and you know that God's speaking to you and it's time for you to turn back, would you just raise your hand with no one looking around? Thank you. I want to pray a prayer for us this morning and worship team if you want to make your way to the stage we're going to sing take me in because this song is the gospel it's a reminder that God beckons us to come close to his heart but I want to pray for you because listen to me Paul writes this letter to the Galatians because he loves them so much he cares about them so much he's fighting for their freedom and as your pastor today I'm fighting for your freedom I need you to understand how much God loves you, how much he is for you, and how, listen to me, the, the law is not just like this thing that God just sets to the side and it's worthless anymore. We're going to, in the next few weeks, we're going to see just how the only way to live it out and to, to, to be the people of God and to, and to change and be molded, it's not by trying to do the law, it's by continually getting closer to him. And as we get closer to him, our life naturally falls in line with the law. Christ has to be the treasure of our heart. And today, my prayer is that he would renew that once again for many of us. That he would go back to that place as treasure. That nothing would ever come before him. I'm praying today that joy would fill us once again. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you. Lord, I'm so thankful for this church and for these people. I'm so thankful for who you are and what you've done. I thank you for Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the fact that it's through your effort, your ability, your decision, your energy, what you've accomplished, not what I've accomplished, that I've made right in your eyes. And so, Lord, today, I pray that we would be people who are shaped and molded by the gospel. Lord, that we'd be reminded that we can come boldly to the throne room of grace, not because of my effort,
hearts that you would mold us and make us more like you. Lord, I pray right now in the name of Jesus for every person in this room, whether they lifted their hand or not. Lord, I pray that there would be a sense of release in their spirit. That joy would invade their heart once again. Oh, Lord, I pray for freedom in this place. Lord, I pray that they would see you in heaven right now. I pray that they would get a glimpse of your face, but they would realize it's not an angry face that's looking at them with contempt and anger at their past. It's a face that has a smile with joy, says my son, my daughter, come home. Come home. But I pray that joy would fill this room once again. Freedom would fill hearts once again as we find ourselves in alignment with your gospel. We love you, Jesus, in your name.